0: Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. So for those of you holy enough not to be paying attention to the game, I'm pleased to inform you the score is Croatia zero, Canada one. Foghorn, foghorn. Oh, it's off now, okay. (laughs) Someone wise said, you don't have to be a poet to be a Christian, but it sure helps. Some of the greatest poetry we have is from the Old Testament prophets, who we'll be hearing a lot from here in Advent. Isaiah announces the coming of Christ so beautifully, we still can't think of Jesus without the words of Isaiah, a virgin shall be with child. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The government will be on his shoulders. And a little child shall lead them. We shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One scholar says to read prophets like Isaiah is to engage in a process of undeceiving. Undeceiving. We read Isaiah so we can unlearn the false story and learn the true one. Advent season is the best. Isn't it beautiful in here? It looks amazing. This four-week countdown to Christmas puts us in the position of Israel longing for a savior. The songs in Advent are full of yearning. They drop down into minor key. They express hope a place of pain Now, depending on your line of work this may be a really busy time for you in lots of businesses this is the most important schedule time of the year for professors and students this is the run-up to exams i used to grade those exams that's the part they have to pay you for for those of us too lazy to shop in advance this is when you fight with crowds and for parking i hope In the midst of all this activity, you can stop and feel something of that yearning inside of you. The world is not as it should be. We are not as we should be. Creation is off kilter, out of joint. God promises to come and make everything right. Do it quickly, Lord Jesus. The passage you heard from Isaiah is deeply loved in the history of the church. Isaiah is a court prophet in Jerusalem, close to the king and to power. Isaiah's wife is also a prophet, so presumably they have little prophet children. Lots of prophesying to be done because lots of unfaithfulness in Israel. Lots of unfaithfulness in us. It's what it means to be human. Their unfaithfulness resulted in the Assyrian army sweeping down on the ten northern tribes of Israel in 722 B.C. and destroying the lot. The ten northern tribes don't exist anymore. What it meant in the ancient world to be conquered was that your God had failed and you ceased to exist as a distinct people. Now Assyria the wolf is looking hungrily at the two remaining tribes of Judah and starting to growl. And some who live in Judah are refugees from that previous violence in the 10 tribes. They remember and they're afraid. What does Isaiah the prophet say to these traumatized, trembling people? Repent. It's not what I would say to traumatized people, but Isaiah has more courage than the rest of us. Stop worshiping false gods. Obey and follow the Lord alone. And you will live. I saw a movie once, can't remember the name now, with an intense conversation between a Christian and an atheist. And the atheist said, you and I have more in common than you think. And the Christian said, I don't think you think that. And the atheist said, sure, there are countless gods out there. I don't believe in any of them. You don't believe in any of them either, except for one. Both of us are atheists 99% of the time. I just go all the way. It's wise. Reminds me of hearing of a Jewish atheist group. Someone asked, what's a Jewish atheist group believe? And a member said, there's only one God, and we don't believe in him. You see how the Bible teaches you to disbelieve most of the time, about most who claim to be God. Israel, believe in the Lord alone. Be an atheist about all the other gods, and the one true God will deliver you. Spoiler alert, it doesn't happen. The Babylonians, not the Assyrians this time, sweep down on Judah, consume its people, destroy its temple, and carry them off to exile in 586 B.C. Here's the point, y'all, most human groups think that their God or gods are on their side and against their enemies. That's why when their God fails in war, that God stops being worshiped. Israel believes their God is the only God there is. And sometimes their God is against them when they're unfaithful. Because the living and true God has a choice in the matter and isn't just a mascot. And so when Israel is unfaithful, she's punished. When we're unfaithful, well, I'll let you finish that sentence. But our text today suggests something altogether different. Something better. Something even more beautiful. It radiates off the page and into our lives. From the scripture. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains raised above the hills. Now, this sounds like Mount Zion will actually grow taller. There are seven traditional mountains in Jerusalem. Uh, They're really basically hills. Mount Zion's not the tallest. It's not even the second tallest. One day, the prophet promises, it'll be raised above Everest, above every other mountain. When Jesus preaches about mountains getting up and running, And dancing, it means he learned his scripture well when he was bouncing on Mary's knee. Good job, Mom. Mount Zion today only has the ruin of a temple. The Romans destroyed it in 70 A.D. and left one wall. On top of the Temple Mount are two of the holiest places in Islam. It's a place of pain, a scar on the face of the earth. Isaiah promises it will be a place of peace for all people. It's poetry, remember? (laughs) It's supposed to be outrageous and unbelievable and gorgeous. All nations shall stream to it. Yeah, this is exactly what the Jews are afraid of. All of those pagan nations, Assyrians, Babylonians, Romans, whoever, streaming to Zion... To conquer the place, to destroy it, to level the temple and erase them from history. The prophet says, You're right. The Gentiles are coming. The barbarian non Jews are on their way. You won't even be able to count them. Now let's pause for a moment. For Israel, God chooses one people through whom to bless all the others. The rest of us, not chosen, are Gentiles. Jews, God's chosen. When the God of everything wants to repair the wreck we've made of creation, God doesn't send a natural disaster or an army or even a miracle. God sends a family. A family full of impossible pregnancies and terrible rivalries and people who can't stand each other. Sounds kind of like your family. That's who God sends to repair the world. So God chooses one people through whom to bless all the others. And we, God's people, often get this wrong. We think God's blessings are for us. Nope. They're through us for everybody else. When God entrusts us with any gift, however small, it's not for us. It's for us to give away to others. Some friends have asked how we'll know that Timothy Eaton is doing well. The answer, check on the neighborhood. Is the neighborhood in better health? Is Toronto more redeemed? The goal is not a bigger and better church. The goal is a more redeemed world. Israel, as God's chosen, gets the punishment often reserved for the teacher's pet in any classroom. Envy, resentment, and sometimes mistreatment. That's the cost of being chosen. It's still Israel's job to bless and repair the world. Hearing the prophet say the hordes are coming, Israel fears she'll be destroyed. Not so fast. Here's what's next. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths. The barbarian hordes are coming not with weapons to kill, but as pilgrims to pray. God has transfigured Israel's enemies into fellow worshipers, joining Israel's prayers. The very ones you thought were coming to destroy you are actually coming to join in your prayers to the only God there is. Do you see what good news this is? The Hebrew verb says, All peoples will stream to Zion. Just like in English, that word gets used for rivers that stream or for light from the sun that streams. All peoples will stream to Zion. You couldn't even stop them if you wanted. This is the fulfillment of Israel's calling to bless and heal the nations, to turn the whole world from a place of war into a people of peace. Isaiah says that's coming, not national defeat, but worldwide redemption. That might be a second goal, I don't know. Our forebears in the church loved this passage. That's us, we said. We, the church are all nations streaming to Zion. That's why the church is made up of all peoples, nations, races, and languages, wearing pilgrims' robes and walking up Jerusalem to pray. Only God could do this. Take the awful Assyrians and turn them into people of prayer. The miserable Babylonians and have them come on their knees and say, hey, can you teach us how to pray to the God of Israel? The miserable Romans and turn them into people of peace. That's what God does. Transfigure enemies into friends. The great Abraham Lincoln was approached by a woman at the end of the U.S. Civil War. She'd lost a son in that war. And so she got up in his face because she heard he wanted to be merciful to the defeated South. And she said, Sir, we must destroy our enemies. And he said, ma'am, haven't I destroyed my enemy when I've made him my friend? This world of peace is what we long for in Advent. Not just blessings for our family and ourselves. Those are fine. Not just a little more good cheer in the neighborhood. That's fine too. But the restoration of all things. When God knits back together the fabric that we human beings have torn apart when all people worship together in God's temple. I had a glimpse of this recently. I snuck away one Saturday to see a Michigan football game in Ann Arbor. That's the biggest football stadium in the United States. It holds 113,000 people. Now, I'm not a Michigan fan, but my two friends were, and they had the tickets. For me, the best part was the walk to the game. Everyone's in such a good mood. People are drinking before noon. You can talk to a total stranger about some game in 1972 that you still have some program for. Everyone's wearing the stuff. You pat people on the back and say, go blue. I was saying it, and I don't even care about blue. My friend turned to me at one point and said, this is carnival. (laughs) This is holy. His friend, who was an even bigger Michigan fan, couldn't stop crying. He was a blubbering mess. It's so beautiful, (laughs) kept saying. Good cheer all around. No one allowed to work. Now, this isn't Isaiah's vision, but it's on the way. Unlike the Michigan game, in Isaiah's vision, the poor lead the way. It's not just for those with the money and wherewithal not to work and to buy expensive tickets. Those without food feast first. Now, a football stadium is a bit more Roman Coliseum than Jerusalem temple, right? I mean, you need an enemy who dies in abject fashion. And thankfully, Illinois lost on the last play of the game. That was very game of them. With God's temple, no one has to lose. There's no bloodshed anymore. What the nations do is urge one another on. Keep going. We're seeking Zion's God. And then these famous words, unbelievable words. God shall judge between nations and arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift, make war against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Here's why. The judge will be God himself. The reason nations don't have to fight is there's a judge, God, who solves every dispute. That's why armies won't be necessary. Now for now... We need armies. There are Vladimir Putins running around. I remember when I first moved to Canada, there were some Pacific war games with the US, and Canada sent its one working destroyer out there, and it broke down, and the Americans had to take it back to Pearl Harbor and fix it for us. It's humiliating, right? That is insufficient preparing for war. The Arctic is melting, Russia is snooping around, Canada has more coastline than can be believed. Do you feel your anxiety level rising? That's our world. Be real about it. God is promising an unreal world, a not yet real world, one where no one studies war. The military academy at Kingston, Sandhurst, West Point, obsolete in God's time, where the energy for digging into the ground to pull up metals to make weapons goes into energy, digging into the ground with seeds to grow food. Now, that sounds like pie in the sky, right? Except it's happening. Here's some examples. Some Christian groups in recent years have enacted this very thing, chapter and verse. So a church-government partnership in Birmingham, England, offered a weapon buyback. Bring any sort of weapon, no questions asked, we'll buy it from you. And they collected a heap of the things. Now, you might think that's a bad use of public money until you calculate what one gunshot costs our healthcare system, right? Another example. A church in Philadelphia this time did the same thing. Bring your weapons, no questions asked. Only they physically melted them down. And invited those who had lost loved ones to gun violence to be part of melting them down. And so one woman took a hammer and railed on that red hot gun. This is for my son. In another place, Culiacan, Mexico, it's known for gun violence. They had a gun buyback and in exchange they gave people coupons for a big box store. No questions asked collected 1,527 guns, and an artist named Pedro Reyes melted them down into 1,527 shovels. Do you see how that's a frighteningly literal reading of this verse? But you can't say it's pie in the sky because it's happening. I just gave you specific addresses of places where it's happening. It can be done. But don't be naive about this, our world is a dangerous place. No one would rather quit their jobs forever than police and soldiers. They're there to protect the innocent, to solve disputes. Who wouldn't have wished for an armed guard in that nightclub in Colorado Springs just a week ago? There are times when we need such protection. I've been watching the Murdoch Mysteries about a detective in late 19th century Toronto. This allows me to write off my Netflix subscription. CRA, you're not watching. I know it. This detective always solves these crimes, and then he's face-to-face with some criminal. The criminal's armed, the copper is not, and the cop always has to run away. And I keep thinking, just one service revolver, (laughs) and you can sort this problem. The UN building in New York has a sculpture of a sword being beaten into a plowshare. It's on page nine of your bulletin at the bottom. Now, you might want to ask, how many wars has the UN stopped? And the answer is, not as many as its founders hoped. What I love about that sculpture is it was done by a Soviet artist. Now, of course, this was commie propaganda, but accidentally, it bears witness to the truth of the scriptures that God is promising swords into plowshares. Not by the work of any of our policing, by the UN, even by clever artists or churches, but by God alone, when he comes again, just as surely as he came the first time. Final note for today. Out of Zion shall go forth instruction, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. St. Paul sees this as a glimpse beforehand of the Christian gospel. Paul says, All Israel will be saved. Wait a minute, Paul. Don't you mean some of Israel? A little bit of Israel? Nope. All Israel will be saved. As it is written, Out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. When some Jewish neighbors have visited this beautiful sanctuary, they've noticed these stars of David way up above my head here. And they say, hey, look, that's our thing. (laughs) And we say, yeah, that's our thing too. David's kind of our guy also. One Jewish thinker speaks of the relationship between Christianity and Judaism this way. Judaism is the molten core of the star, the nuclear fusion that is God's love for humanity. Gentile Christians like us We're the rays of the star, radiating out from that core with sunlight and heat and life. And the man who suggests this, Franz Rosenzweig, is a controversial thinker, but I love the image because the star is burning right now. We, the church, are spreading its light. One day, all there will be is light. I got to know a worshiping community in Newcastle in the north of England. Newcastle is kind of the Vegas of that region of the UK. It's got kind of a stag party, kiss me quick kind of reputation. Do you know Newcastle Browns, not even made in Newcastle? Isn't that disappointing? Makes me want to check out of the human race when you learn these kinds of things. Anyway, Newcastle. It's a place of dwindling churches. So lots of former great cathedrals are really cool nightclubs or climbing centers. You can see it right? This one church was set to close. Its boiler went out. The last few old heads voted to close the thing. The bishop said, let me try one more thing. I'm going to give it to a lawyer. We clergy can't do it. Somebody else will, right? And this lawyer reached out to ex-offenders, the very people he had helped put behind bars, the people the rest of us don't want, warehoused behind razor wire, now healed of addictions, restored into relationships that they had broken. And when I was there, they seemed to me like a black church in the United States, hands raised, singing loud, standing on chairs. And I said to this lawyer, how did you get English people to act like this without football or alcohol? And he said, those who've been forgiven much love much. And he smiled and he said, you see my caretaker over there? He did 10 years for armed robbery. You see that worship leader? 17 years for murder. And he shrugged. And I saw Isaiah's vision of all the wrong people worshiping together as people of peace. That's what we hope for. That's everything. That's why the church is open to all the wrong people, all the right people, and most of us in between who are not sure which we are on any given day. The day Isaiah imagines is coming, and in some places it's already here. I've named some for you. Advent says it's not here yet in full, and that's why we yearn for it, long for it. But it is closer than when we first believed. So when we pray for peace, that's not just a pipe dream. That's God's promised future. And every Christian prayer says, God, bring that future sooner. We are tired of violence. You may have thought Advent was just a countdown to Christmas. Chocolates and revelry, that's good. General hilarity is wonderful. It accidentally reflects God's coming as a baby. But that's not what Advent's about. It's about the end of violence, the full reign of peace, the world as God intends, and every injury healed. You'll see. One day, everyone will see. Amen.